Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today's guest is someone that I only recently discovered when watching some seminars online, but when I came across her, I was hooked. She boils the hard stuff down to make it easy. Her talks are super relatable and dare I say it, maybe even a little entertaining. No pressure, mate. She's officially my new functional medicine nerdy girl crush. She's also the clinical medical director of Precision Analytical, a company that does some pretty cool functional testing. So of course I did what any nerdy girl would do. I asked her to come on the show so that I can pick her brain about her zones of genius and that is women's hormones, adrenals and functional testing. Yep. We're getting into the technical stuff today, so maybe grab a pen and paper, strap yourself in and soak up the wisdom that is Dr. Carrie Jones. (laughs) I love it. That was probably my most favorite intro ever. You could put me in your pocket and take me to events. I don't mind. I will. You could be my emotional support person. Excellent. Excellent. And you can just introduce me. (laughs) That actually sounds like a fun job. Right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So look, tell me a little bit about your background and what drew you to be working in this area of women's health. I knew for a very long time that I wanted to be a women's health doctor since I was a little kid. Um, And so I did my undergrad um, university in pre-med and then I got disillusioned with sort of conventional medicine. I was working in two different hospitals and I didn't like the way that they were doing medicine. And so I rebelled and happened to stumble upon naturopathic medicine and realized that was a school for me. So I went to naturopathic medical school, focused on women's health and hormones for four years. And then I did my two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and gynecology. And then I have just never left the field. (laughs) This is the only thing I know, (laughs) women's health, hormones, and gynecology. So if you've got like kid questions, I have no idea. (laughs) No no kid questions, guaranteed. (laughs) So why didn't you like the way they were doing medicine? You know, so I was actually working at um, one hospital was in their pediatric wing because I thought I wanted to be um, obstetrics and gynecology, so deliver babies. And then the other hospital, I was working in their um, outreach with um, a group of nurses who did education around heart disease, weight loss, blood pressure, diabetes. And the pediatric wing was so sterile and it was only about drugs. And they gave each family about two seconds of their time before they moved on. They never really sat to listen to hear what was going on with the child. They never really sat to hear what was going on with the family. And, and they just wrote a prescription or a surgery or checked up and left. Whereas the other hospital I happened to work at, um, when we did all this outreach, that's what really resonated with me. It was all about education, educating people as to how and why their diet was contributing to their blood sugar or their high blood pressure or their expanding waistline. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to get into medicine to educate. I I don't want to just prescribe pills all day. I don't want to just check in on somebody for two seconds and walk away. That's, that's not who I am as a person. I'm a 
I'm a chatty person. I'm a Gemini. So communication's my thing. (laughs) Communication's my thing. And so that's why I switched gears and thought, no, I can't be a conventional MD. Um, and, and functional medicine wasn't around back then. I mean, this was in 2000 and well, this was actually in 1999. So quite a while ago. And, um, and then once I found naturopathic medicine, I realized this is what I want to do. This is the kind of education I want to explain to women about their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much more sense. It's so much more empowering for them, isn't it? It is. It really is versus, you know, just trust me and take this pill. It's like, no, let's, let me explain you what is going on. Let me explain you the biochemistry, the physiology, even like I want women to understand the really hard stuff at an easy level so that when they go talk to their practitioner, they can be like, look, this is what I've learned. This is what I, you know, figured out about my own body from you know, from the top down and here's what I want worked up or here's what I think the problem is, or here's, here's what's going on. And they, they feel empowered, they feel educated and they feel, you know, in control of their health. That's what I want. Yeah. I love that. And I think we're living in this big age of information now where we can look everything up online, which is both a blessing and a curse. But I think now that we're there, we can never go back and, and women want to know why something's happening more than right. before. Right. Exactly. And, and they want it for themselves. They want it for their family. They want it for their kids. They want it for their sister and their best friend. They, they want it for everybody in their life. They want to be able to understand and explain. And um, I agree. It is a blessing and a curse. It's, it's a blessing in that women are more empowered than ever, as I, which I fully strongly believe in. And it's a curse in that there's a lot of misinformation out there. <laughs> So I get a lot of, I get a lot of questions about, well, I heard, or I saw, or I, you know, my friend told me, I'm like, Ooh, uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and I'll get into this a little bit later, hopefully, but also the curse of, I read on a forum that if I've got this condition, I just take these herbs and it's like, ah, right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All the time. All the time. I know. I think I even saw it in one of your Facebook posts the other day. It was like, I'm not going to tell you which supplements to take or something like that. And I was like, yeah. Oh, it's my, it's my standard uh, um, thing that I, I have to say because I get so many medical questions and I'm, you know, I, and I'm here to educate, but I, everyone's an individual. So I always say, I can't treat you on social media. That's just awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. I love it. Or it'd be like somebody asking you, right? Like on your podcast, like, Hey, I heard this person on your podcast, you know, how much of that supplement should I take? Like, well, that's mm-hmm. kind of awkward. I, I do get those emails. Yeah. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All right. So look, tell me why are so many women so broken right now? Like why are you and I so busy in our jobs? Oh my gosh. I think, oh, I think busy is the problem. I think it's a, it's a multifold factor. I think we are more stressed than we've ever been. We have the, you know, we have the, the, um, I was going to say the worst food that we've ever had, but like we, our options are unlimited and we have all this, but people are still choosing, you know, the heavily sprayed, the GMO'd, the, you know, than not organic or they're going, their money is tight. They're choosing cheap food. That's when cheap food is not usually healthy food. And then our environment is probably, you know, really toxic. And we have all this plastic and we have all this plastic exposure and we have all this Wi-Fi exposure and, and everything just adds up. You know, I, people will say to me, well, Carrie, if I, you know, use this plastic thing once, it's not going to hurt me. I'm like, no, no, of course it's not. Like we have to have plastic. It's part of our, our world. 
but it's, it's the accumulation over, over time. That is the problem. The stress, the exposures, the, um, the food, the environment, and it just a huge snowball effect. And then, and then what that does is that affects our hormones and it affects our ability to handle stress and it affects the way our brain processes things. And it's, we're, we're different people than our parents were, or our grandparents were, um, because it's just so much more. We just have so much more assault on our systems nowadays. It's crazy. Yeah. Why do you think women are noticing the fallout more than men? Is it that men are not like, are men still suffering from all this toxic exposure <laughs> and just not realizing that just like, I've got a headache, I'll go to the pub for a beer? Or is, it, is there something unique to women? Is it our makeup of hormones suffers more or suffers sooner? What's going on? Um, I would say uh, D, all of the above. Um, thankfully, I've seen on social media quite a number of men who are trying to become more aware and more empowered. I am seeing that more and more. However, women far outweigh men. Women are just more in touch. I think we're more in tune. Our hormones are way more complicated than men's hormones are. Um, our symptoms you, are often quite, can be severe. Um, you know, men don't get endometriosis. Men don't get menstrual cramps. Men don't experience cyclical, cyclical PMS. I mean, men get their own symptoms, don't get me wrong, but women, women, this is a monthly thing for a lot of women, you know? And so, and, and as the environment and our food and our stress and everything gets worse, these symptoms get amplified. And it's really hard to work your job, be a good friend, be a good mom, be a good wife, be a good everything when you hurt or when you're in pain or when you're bleeding out because your period's so heavy oh, yes. or you're not sleeping so you're so tired or you know, your, or your, your joints hurt because you're so inflamed. And, um, or you get that migraine. You have migraines or headaches or menstrual migraines. I mean, it's, it's hard to be all the things to all the people as a woman when, when you hurt, when, when things aren't right. Yeah, yeah. So what's the role of plastics in all of this? Because that's one that I'm really concerned about and you've already mentioned it. Yeah. Now, plastics are an endocrine disruptor. And so the endocrine system is our hormone system. It's just the fancy word for hormone system. And it's the system that deals with your thyroid, your ovaries, and men, it's their testicles, your adrenal glands, your parathyroid hormone. Um, that's what the endocrine system is. And so when you get plastics like BPA, you know, bisphenol A, um, BPS, BPF, um, or phthalates, um, when you heat up plastic, those chemicals leach into your food or your water, and then you get it in your system. And they act like estrogen. And so they bind to your estrogen receptors when maybe your estrogen receptors didn't want to be bound to. Um, and, and they cause a cascade of events. And so your own actual estrogen may be at a nice healthy level, but your receptors are getting constantly stimulated by this, by this plastic. And so now you have weight gain and mood swings and heavy periods and PMS and endometriosis and fertility problems and, you know, just all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's not fun and it's not pleasant. And there's even some research to show that um, specifically BPA, bisphenol A, um, can actually induce estrogen production will actually raise estrogen, um, which is really concerning. And in men, it actually increases what's called aromatization. So it increases the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. Um, and so we're seeing that in men more, you know, their testosterone is going down and their estrogen is going up because of the environment. Yeah. And is this your gynecomastia, aka man boobs? Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. They'll get, they to, absolutely, they get man boobs. They get uh, just weight gain around the waist. Um, they become more moody, especially depressed or unmotivated uh, as opposed to angry. Mm-hmm. And I hear this all the time. I have so many, you know, female patients or, you know, women friends who are like, oh my God, my husband or partner or my boy is turning into a man or excuse a woman. Like <laughs> my man is gone. He's turning into a woman. He's getting man boobs and he's depressed and he's unmotivated and he's tired and he's moody. It's like he's PMSing. I'm like, well, he has way too much estrogen. It's estrogen. Men don't need that much. They need some, but not like heaps and women need heaps, but then we don't need, you know, like there's, there's a cutoff point for both genders. And that's really scary that they've now found sort of evidence to show that it's not just the BPA is not just binding to your receptors, but it's actually causing your body to make more of the hormone as well. Yep. And convert, convert testosterone into estrogen. So it's this double whammy and it's so prevalent. I mean, it's, they're finding plastic in breast milk, you know, they find it, you know, in our water supply. And a friend of mine is um, from Iceland and they, Icelandic people are known to have some of the cleanest water in the world. And she told, I just saw her last weekend. They told me, or she told me that um, Iceland is reported there's plastic. They found plastic in there. Oh ultra god. clean water supply. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I've heard about it being in like bottled water as well. And oh yeah, like, yeah, you know, people are drinking the bottled water because they're trying to be healthier, and then it's got microplastics in it. Yep, exactly. And certain toothpaste, um, which has now been pulled in theory, pulled off the market. But those the microbeads, you know, the microbeads and like yeah. facial scrubs are in are there in for toothpaste. Um, you know, you're brushing your teeth with that, and you end up swallowing some of it. You mean just evident? You know, it's in your teeth. Yeah, um, and your gates in your gums, um, or you spit it out and it goes down the sink, and now it's in your wa- now these microplastic particles are in your water. Yeah, don't even start me seriously. Like I've just come, <laughs> I've just come back from a, a medical trip to Fiji. We do public health over there, and you go to the primary schools in Fiji, and all the kids are drinking out of plastic bottles, just like. Right. They're drinking water, but they're refilling these bottles that are just like either soft drink bottles or bottled water bottles. And so they don't have stainless steel or anything like that, like the kids would here at school. And like it's Fiji, so it's like 33 degrees outside and the kids are outside playing in the sun and their water bottle is sitting in the sun. And I'm just like out there at lunchtime looking at like a hundred water bottles sitting in the sun and all these like little kids just going, Oh my God. Right. Oh and not God. even to mention that the water that was shipped there in the first place was shipped in a, you know, a container ship in a container that was probably very hot because you don't really need to temperature control water. And so, you know, it, it's just, it gets already hot to begin with and it sat in warehouses and it sat on trucks and it, oh you know, God. and then eventually it'll get put into a refrigerator or maybe, you know, something, a cooler. Um, and so people will think, well, oh no, I bought my water. I, did, I bought my water bottle out of a refrigerator. I bought it. It was cold when I bought it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it didn't start out cold, I can assure you. <laughs> so are we screwed? Are we screwed? What do we do? <laughs> no, we just have to take care of ourselves. We just do all the things that we can do, right? Because what helps us get rid of this stuff is our liver. It's detoxification. It's sweating. It's sleeping. You know, all our good repair happens in our deep sleep. And so making sure we get good quality deep sleep at night. And, um, you know, we do drink out of uh, stainless steel or glass or we have water filtration systems at home um, that can at least filter out what you've got there. Uh, so we, it's just doing everything that you can to negate all the things that you can't when you're out and about in the real world. 
Yeah. So we don't need to be scared of the water. We just need to kind of overcompensate in other areas. You got it. And just be smart <laughs> about it. You know, just, just be, just try to plan ahead, be smart, carry your, carry your stainless steel water bottle yeah. if you can. Absolutely. <laughs> what are some other reasons for estrogen excess? Cause it's not just the plastic, is it? It is not just the plastic. I mean, even just within our own um, body as women, you know, like I said, the liver. So um, you may have trouble processing your estrogen through your liver and then out through your digestive tract. So you have three, you have three phases of detoxification. When your body is done with your estrogen, then it goes through phase one detoxification in your liver and then phase two, and then it goes moves out into phase three. And um, that's either out through your kidneys, which you then urinate out, or out through your stool um, in your uh, intestines. And if you think about it, the number of people who maybe are doing things that are affecting their liver, for example, like alcohol, alcohol slows everything down. Certain medications, people who are on, you know, take multiple medications in a day, that'll slow the liver down. People who have constipation or a lot of um, GI upset, um, that'll affect the way that you clear out your liver. And so by improving these things, that automatically helps improve the way you clear estrogen out of your body. Yeah. And medications includes things like paracetamol, contraceptive pill, because I can't even tell you how many times, because I've got it like an intake form for my naturopathic clients and they have to actually list, you know, are you on any medications? Yes. If so, which ones? Okay, well, I'm on this and I'm on this. The amount of times I've then questioned someone in a consult and added medications back to that initial list because they told me about the Nexium they were on, for example, but mm -hmm. they forgot to mention that they were on the pill. Or they forgot to mention that they take Panadol, you know, five days out of seven because they mm -hmm. get headaches at 3 p.m. And I think some medications are just so kind of normal. Yeah, Normalized. ubiquitous. Yeah. They're just there. And it's like they don't even consider them to be a medication anymore. Like we, we yeah. don't even see them that way. So like... Though, you know, and, and paracetamol and the contraceptive pill are two that definitely affect the liver, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Yep. And mm. in the United States, we call it Tylenol or acetaminophen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, in fact, the lab where I worked, we, it, that happened so many times where people would say, no, I'm not on any medications. And then we would say, are you on the birth control pill? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, have its, we have its own byline. Like, are you on medications? Are you on any kind of birth control? Because just to jog people's memory, yeah. just like that. And same with even things like thyroid medication. You know, yeah. it just, you take it every morning, you don't think about it. And so when somebody says, are you on medication? You're like, no, of course I'm not. I don't take medication. I don't, you know, like an antibiotic, right? People think I'm not an antibiotic or maybe something strong or heavy and a pain mm -hmm. pill. And then I'm like, why are you on thyroid? Oh yeah, every morning. <laughs> yeah, 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 every day. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, and I'm like, that's fine. I just, it, it, it that's a medication. Yeah, still a medication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, oh, where do we go from? I know. Yeah. <laughs> so many things. So many things. Because you mentioned the thyroid as well. And I was like, oh, now I really want to go there. What's, what, because I see so, so, so many cases of thyroid dysfunction and in particular Hashimoto's. Yeah. And again, it's the women. What's yep. going on there? You know, and it, the big thing um, that with thyroid that I always uh, educate on, a good friend of mine taught me this a couple years ago, Dr. Eric Balcavage. He really explained 
um, it's cellular, peripheral or hypothyroidism to me. So um, what, what's so frustrating is that, you know, people who are listening are like, yeah, I go to my doctor and I say, I think I have a thyroid problem and they run one marker, right? They run TSH, TSH. stimulating hormone. Yeah. And what people don't realize, and in fact, so many doctors don't realize, practitioners, but even in like conventional medical school, they, they just skip over this part. So TSH is a marker of thyroid in your brain, that TSH is reflective of what's happening in your pituitary gland. So if your pituitary gland is totally happy, then your TSH looks normal. But the TSH does not reflect upon your ability to convert your hormone T4 into the very active form called T3. And so if you can't get from T4 into T3, that's a cellular or a peripheral issue. And what I mean by that is in your fingers and your toes and your skin and your hair follicles and your intestines and your ovaries, you know, you, you convert, you use thyroid. So you, you do these conversions, T4 into T3. And then, but people will say, well, my TSH is normal, but I have all the symptoms. I'm tired. I'm gaining weight. I have dry skin. I have constipation. I can't get pregnant. I have heavy periods. I have no periods. And I'm like, right. So that's why we have to do the full test because if you're not converting, it's not necessarily a brain problem. It's a peripheral problem. It's out, it's out in your body and we have to work on helping that instead. And yeah. hormones, especially, you know, estrogen, progesterone play a big, and cortisol play a big role in that. Yeah. The other thing I'm seeing a lot of recently is uh, women who come to me with hypothyroidism, but they have never had a test to see whether it's autoimmune. I know. Isn't that so frustrating? I know. So many, or, they, or it gets blown off. I'll get lab reports in and I'll say, oh, you have Hashimoto's. And they're like, no, I don't. Like, yes, you do. It's right here. <laughs> yeah. Here's the test. They ran it and they were like, I was never told. And then they get very mad and I don't blame them. They're like, I was never told that. I said, yeah, you it's autoimmune thyroid. You have an autoimmune condition. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, in their defense with, with the GPs, especially in Australia, it's not going to change their course of action. It's and not going to change it here either. I agree. So ethically, like I, I always feel like, cause I love functional testing, right? It's, I love mm-hmm. doing, I, I'm a bit of a pathology nerd, but I'll only do a test if it's going to change my course of action in terms of the treatment. Mm-hmm. So if it's not going to change your course of action, it's kind of just like pissing money up against a wall sometimes. So mm-hmm. I, I explained to the patient that it, whether you've got Hashimoto's or just garden variety hypothyroidism, which is like what, less than 10% of, mm-hmm. yeah, because Hashis is like 90% of hypothyroid cases or something. But if you've, you know, it doesn't matter which one of those two you have, the course of action is still they're going to give you thyroxine. Mm-hmm. So only, they, only, they don't, uh, only no. yeah, they don't need, so therefore in their defense, the doctors don't need to know, but when you come to a naturopath or, you know, even like a functional medicine practitioner, um, or integrative GP, they might look at that differently because how I, you know, address, uh, an autoimmune condition is quite different to how I would just address a, you know, a simple hypothyroid person. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to know, just like you do, is it autoimmune? Because there is research, and we, and we know this even anecdotally from our patients, there's research to show if you have one, your, your, your chances of getting another autoimmune go up exponentially. And, and the Hashimoto's tends to run in a family. There's a sort of group of autoimmune, like, um, uh, like Addison's and type 1 diabetes and a few others that if you have one, your chances of getting another one, a second or even third one 
goes up a lot. So I want somebody, I want, I want to know that as a practitioner, is it autoimmune? One, because I'm going to treat it differently, but two, I am going to try to prevent you from getting type one diabetes or getting Addison's disease or getting, you know, some of these autoimmune GI colitis stuff that maybe we could prevent with early intervention. Yeah. So if anyone's out there listening to this and they've got hypothyroid and they don't know whether it's autoimmune or not, you can go and get some antibodies tested, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Thyroid peroxidase antibody and thyroglobulin uh, antibody. Yep. Go and ask for it. You're totally entitled to it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Go be empowered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find out. Find out because once we know it's autoimmune, there's so much we can do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's chat a bit about the testing that, that you do because I, you know, I'm a fan of the Dutch test, but I wasn't always. <laughs> so I have to go on the record and say. I love it. A rebel. <laughs> I, I know, oh, always. Um, I've got to admit, like, I resisted doing this test on my patient for, for so long because it, it gave us so much information. I almost thought it was overkill and I thought maybe it was making the clients a bit anxious. But then I've recently started doing these tests on, you know, a lot of my more stubborn or my more complex female repro cases. And now I've found this new love for the Dutch test. So, and I'm getting more and more requests, not just more and more requests or queries about it in clinic, but also people coming to me for their first consult and bringing their Dutch results with them. So I had to learn about it because it's like, they're like, oh, I've got this massive report. And I'm like, crap, I have to learn this now. Um, So yes, I've gone from resistance to embracing it. Uh, but yeah, tell us, what does this test do? What's it look for? And who might benefit from doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I always start off by saying um, Dutch is an acronym. We do not t- test for Dutch heritage. <laughs> but we do get asked that question. Are you a genetic test for Scandinavian people? No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, so it's dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. So it's not a blood test and it's not a saliva test per se. Um, But it is a test where you urinate on pieces of filter paper throughout the day and let them dry. So it's very easy. Women, when women ask me if it, you know, if it's complicated, I'm like, no, it's like doing, you know, four pregnancy tests in a day. It's very easy. Or you just, you know, urinate on a, in a clean cup and, and dip the paper in there. So it's pretty straightforward. But the reason the urine part is so important is that we get all the hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, your cortisol, your melatonin. But urine gives you the pathways as well. So when I was mentioning earlier, with estrogen, estrogen goes through detoxification. Phase one and phase two show up, um, can show up in the, in the urine. And so I can say your estrogen is doing this and here is the pathway it's going down. It's going down a healthy pathway or it's going down maybe the more carcinogenic, cancer-causing pathway. And we can do things to step in the middle and, you know, improve that, reverse that, get that pathway going better. The same goes for testosterone and um, one of the other hormones, DHEA. You make it, but it can also get, go down pathways. One pathway is called the 5-alpha reductase pathway. That pathway can cause cystic acne. It causes hair loss on your head, particularly in a male pattern baldness kind where women go, I'm starting to lose it, you know, like sort of at my temples, at my sides, um, like a man might. Um, this causes anger and irritation. It's really commonly upregulated in um, PCOS or PCOS, 
polycystic ovary syndrome. And so when I have this information, I can say, all right, you have cystic acne or you have PCOS or you have some of these symptoms. And then I look at the pathway and now I know, okay, your pathway's increased. Let's do things in your diet and your lifestyle with supplements to help you choose a different pathway. <laughs> choose, a, choose a less, less um, problematic pathway. And it's really nice to know this broad stretch of information because it really applies to all patients. I mean, women are concerned about estrogen dominant symptoms. They're concerned about estrogen related breast and, and uterine cancers, estrogen dominant cancers. And I can look at the pathway and say, if their risk is increased or if they seem to be doing a pretty good job. Um, but if it's increased, we can do something about it, Yeah, which I do, love. Like, what do you stop. do about it? What do you do about it? Because <laughs> they're so, going to ask. Because they're going to ask. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll start there. So with estrogen, when you go through phase one, phase one has three different pathway options. One pathway is called the two, then you have a four, and you have a 16 pathway. So the two pathways considered the healthier pathway. You want the majority of your estrogen going that way. The four pathway is the one that's considered more um, carcinogenic, more cancer-causing. And the 16 pathway is called the proliferative pathway. So great for bones, bad for boobs, and can cause heavy periods. Mm -hmm. So to get you to go more the two pathway, this is where you'll hear practitioners say, eat your brassica family, your broccoli, your kale, your Brussels sprouts, um, your, you know, uh, broccoli sprouts, um, dark leafy greens, those foods have an ingredient in it called indole-3-carbonyl, I3C. And when that hits your stomach acid, some of it becomes something called DIM, methane. And DIM helps redirect your estrogen to the two pathway, which is healthier, as opposed to the four or the 16 pathway, which is really nice. Once you go through phase one, you have to be neutralized, right? So that's phase two. So phase two detoxification neutralizes phase one, and then you can get rid of it. You can excrete it. Now, phase two detoxification is governed by an enzyme called COMPT, C-O-M-T, which so many people are concerned about MTHFR, right? But MTHFR is sort of part, it plays into the C-O-M-T cycle, the COMPT cycle, so MTHFR is important, but with estrogen, it's actually a little more or a lot more important that your COMT, your COMPT is working much better. And things that help that are things like magnesium, which is really easy. So I tell people, go take Epsom salt baths. If you take a bath, make sure you get enough Epsom salts in your bath and get, get your magnesium or you know, consider um, talking to your practitioner about if magnesium supplementation is good for you. There's other things like choline. Choline is good in things like eggs. So if you've taken eggs out of your diet because you're afraid of the fat or the cholesterol, time to add eggs back in. Get your choline. <laughs> choline yeah. is really helpful. There are also, of course, you know, you can talk to your practitioner about supplementing. Um, but there are other things that can help get that phase two detoxification working really well. And when we look on a Dutch test, I can say, here is your pathway that you're going down. Your two, your four, your 16. We, I, can, I can tell you what you're dominant in. And then I can tell you if you're able to get neutralized. And some women just go down the wrong pathway. Some women just have problems getting neutralized and some have both. And then we have to work on both with yeah. that pathway. Yeah. You mentioned something called DIM. And yes. I really wanted to talk to you about this one because uh, it is a supplement that we use here in Australia. Uh, I have access to it as a, as a naturopath. I... 
only ever use it very sparingly with clients. Uh, but, you know, in the, in the right clients, I've seen amazing results and I've used it on myself for endometriosis with amazing results. However, like I was read the riot act about it, you know, about you only take it for this amount of time, like you've got to make sure you need it, rah, rah, rah. And then I go on iHerb and it's for sale on iHerb and people can just buy as much as they want and take it for as long as they want. Which they do all the time. And because DIM affects your estrogen, it will affect your pathway, which I said, it goes down the healthy pathway but what it does, and we see it all the time at the lab, is it will lower your estrogen out of circulation. So it essentially um, sort of drains. So if you, have a, if you think of like a lake and a, and a dam, so it essentially opens the dam more towards the right pathway, but it will drain the lake in the, pot, in the, in the, in the meantime. Yeah. So if you are already a person with low estrogen, let's say you are menopausal, let's say you don't have periods, you're amenorrheic for whatever reason, you have picos with no periods, um, you're underweight with no periods, what, hypothyroid with no periods, and you go on DIM, you will only make your estrogen lower. And that is a big concern. And I see it a lot where people go, oh, I took a quiz online and I have estrogen dominance based on this quiz, so I'm taking DIM. And they may feel good initially or they may immediately say, I have brain fog, I have joint pain, I have vaginal dryness, I have hot flashes and night sweats and I'm young, why do I have this? And I say, because you've just driven your estrogen into a menopausal state with a supplement. You have to be careful. That's really scary. It is. It, people don't realize how powerful DIM is. And now, you know, it's, it's dose dependent. I mean, the dose is like, I've seen it as low as 50 milligrams and I've seen it as high as 400 milligrams. <laughs> and of course, people think, right, the more the better. So mm -hmm. they'll say, I, you know, I have people write in, oh, I'm taking... I went online and I'm taking a thousand milligrams for months and months and months. And if you are in a truly excessively estrogenic state for whatever reason, you may need that for a very short period of time. I don't use a thousand. I use way tinier doses than that. But mm -hmm. like in, you know, in a short term band-aid state, you, you can get away with it. But if you continue on, oh, we have to be careful. It is yeah. potent. It is yeah. potent. Yeah, it really concerns me when I see stuff like that so easily accessible online in the united states you can get progesterone over the counter <gasps> so they just slather themselves in progesterone cream i get it all the time on instagram people write me i went to the store and bought progesterone and and it, it didn't i got all these side effects i'm like i bet you did oh my god <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing you didn't work with a practitioner you didn't get tested you just slathered it all over you're probably passing it on to your family you not rub it in the right way I've actually seen three Dutch tests in one month that had high progesterone and I wouldn't have picked any of those three for being high. Oh, interesting. Well, and other things will cause progesterone to go up. The other um, supplement is pregnenolone, which is also over the counter um, in a lot of places, but pregnenolone will cause the uh, Dutch results to look high as well because of its mechanism of action. Yeah. Yeah. But some women do have naturally robust, really healthy ovulation, and therefore they have really great corpus luteums, and they make tons of progesterone. Um, I've definitely seen Vitex or Chase Tree um, really push progesterone up there, the herb that does, you know, for that. Mm. Um, mm. So I've definitely had women just make 
heaps of progesterone from whatever they're doing. But you, they can fake it too if they take progesterone or take pregnenolone. Yeah, right. Now, talk to me about the relationship between histamine and estrogen because, yes. yeah, <laughs> that's a thing, right? Yeah. It's a total thing. So um, the enzyme that breaks down histamine, one of the enzymes, is the DAO. And estrogen slows down DAO. So the more estrogen you have, the slower this enzyme is, therefore it can't break histamine down and now your histamine goes up. And so a lot of women in a high estrogen state, especially as they move into their second half of their cycle, where their estrogen might be higher than it should be, they also report headaches, think menstrual migraines, they report really bad cramps, they report worse allergy-like symptoms, worse skin issues, sinus stuff, um, gut, GI and stuff in the second half of their cycle when their estrogen's inappropriately higher. And histamine is a big cause. Mm, and I forget okay. the cramps part. I always forget that when I, I have other mentors of mine, when women talk, say they have really severe menstrual cramping, my mentors are like, remember, histamine. Histamine, histamine. is spasmodic. <laughs> yeah, histamine equals inflammation. It can happen. Yeah. yeah. And menstrual migraines. Oh, my yes. God. Yeah. Yep. So many, and so many women um, will report migraines um, at ovulation. And what I, I think women don't re realize, we're not taught, is that in order to ovulate, in order to ovulate, in order to kick out that egg, you have to have this huge estrogen surge. And, and I read somewhere in some research study, I think you have to have the surge be sustained for like two straight days for 48 to 50 hours. It's very timed. And, and then it comes down, and when, when estrogen sustains that long, then the brain says to the ovary, okay, kick the egg out now. We're ready. So women will say, well, at, at, my, at ovulation, I get a migraine. And I'm like, I bet you get an estrogen surge like you're supposed to, or maybe it's too high, depending. Um, and you, as a result, have high histamine. And now you have a menstrual migraine. Yeah. Makes so it's much sense. Yeah. Makes so much sense. All right. Yeah. Well, we've got the pen and paper out. Although, I'm sorry, dear listener, I should have rec should have recommended a whiteboard. I think <laughs> a big bit of bunch of paper and a bunch of textures. Uh, stick, stick with us. Um, the relationship between cortisol and all of this. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. So, cortisol. Now we need cortisol, uh, just like we need estrogen. Estrogen gets vilified all the time, but estrogen is what makes us women. Cortisol is super important. We need it for blood sugar balance. We need it for energy. We need it for in, to fight inflammation. Believe it or not, it's the, it's the spike in cortisol in the morning, that rise in cortisol um, when you open your eyes and get out of bed. That's what helps you fight autoimmune, your own autoimmune in your body. Um, that can happen in your thymus gland. But when, when cortisol is too high, you get a feedback system up to your brain that we're in fight or flight. Like there's a lot of stress happening. And as a result, the body goes, oh, we're in fight or flight. Okay, let's not ovulate. Like why would we get pregnant if we're, like, we're freaking out, we're stressed out? And so a lot of women will not ovulate when they're really stressed out or they may have long cycles or their cycles get irregular because of cortisol's effect from the brain down. And so it can really affect um, all of our female hormones when we're under a lot of stress or have a lot of stress going on in our system. And the same goes for the other stress hormones, not just cortisol, but um, we forget uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine, which is noradrenaline and adrenaline. 
also come from the adrenal gland. And in fact, you need cortisol to convert noradrenaline into adrenaline. Cortisol is one of the required hormones. So if you have heaps of cortisol, you'll probably have heaps of adrenaline. And then, you know, the body's like, well, it's, I don't, I don't want to get pregnant for this. So you lose out on ovulation. And as a result, you lose out on progesterone. And now you're automatically estrogen dominant in the luteal phase because you didn't ovulate. Therefore, you don't make progesterone. It's, it's a ratio. And so stress can really, really impact us all over the board, all over our hormones. Yeah. It's crazy. In fact, I'll tell, I, this is a personal story. So my, my menstrual cycles are very regular and I, I travel a lot. I traveled a lot as a kid. I traveled a lot through my life and I travel quite a bit working for this lab. And for the first time ever, I had flown to um, Australia for work and my, my cycle was two weeks late and I thought, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Why, no. <laughs> Why are we two weeks late? This is freaky. This is freaking me out. And then, um, and then I ended up getting my period um, and then I flew home. So I went 16 hours one way, then 16 hours back. And then I flew to South Africa for a different lecture, which was... <laughs> you know, hours the other day, it was a 16 hour flight for me and to go to South Africa too. And so, and again, like that next month, my cycle was completely thrown off and it was these, it was obviously changing time zones. So my circadian rhythm was completely off. My cortisol wasn't high, but my rhythm was off. I didn't know what time zone I was in. My cortisol and melatonin were at war with each other. They were like, wait, the sun is out, but yet it's, you know, three in the morning at home. I don't understand. Where are you? And so it completely changed my schedule. And so it just goes to show for the women listening, if your schedule is erratic, um, those of you who maybe work night shift and then switch to day shift and back again, um, and, or if you just don't have a very good circadian rhythm, you sleep in, you, you know, can't get out of bed in the morning, but then you stay up too late, you rely on caffeine to get going, like it messes up your rhythm. And when you mess up your rhythm, you mess up all your rhythms including your reproductive rhythm, so your menstrual cycle. And that can be really a problem for, our, for us, for us women. Yeah. Men don't have that. Bastards. You <laughs> <laughs> suck, men. I, I remember yeah. seeing, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely mess this up, but I, I saw some, I remember seeing some sort of study about long-haul flight attendants being, you know, predisposed to specific kinds of cancers. And I wonder if it's got to do with, you know, exactly what you just said. I would, just like the studies on um, night shift workers, their risk for cancers goes up quite a bit as well um, compared to day shift worker because their cortisol melatonin is flipped. And especially the night shift worker, um, I think, my understanding is the night shift worker who switches. So um, not, I don't mean to pick on nurses. We need our nurses, but um, you know, they're my nurses, but I have a lot of nurses on my Yeah, And they're, and they're the patients who say, well, I do three night shifts and then I have four days off, right? Or I do four days at night shift and then I have, you know, whatever, three, four, five days off. Um, and so they're constantly flipping back and forth, day shift, night shift, day shift, night shift. And they're usually the ones who feel the worst. They're usually like, I'm so tired. I can't lose weight. I have autoimmune. I can't get pregnant or my pregnancy was challenging. Um, not always, but often. If somebody says I'm a night shift nurse, I'm usually ready to be like, okay, I'm ready. Tell me all your symptoms. Yeah. Because it's just hard on the body. Yeah. I've got paramedics as well. Lots yes. of paramedics. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, and they I, do the same schedule, right? They do, they do so many night shifts and then they have, you know, three, four, five days off. 
Plus, it's not just night shift, but it's a really fast-paced, adrenaline-fueled recipe right. for cortisol job. Right. And then they're usually doing energy drinks, coffee, what you know, whatever. Or they're eating. They don't have a schedule, so they have to eat whenever they have a break, and they just stuff it in their face and move. Like like my nurses, right? My 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 poor ER night shift nurses. I'm like, do you eat? They're like, sort of on the fly. I don't chew. I just swallow. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Let's we'll work with this. Yeah. <laughs> Smoothie, anyone? I know, exactly. <laughs> juice, veggie juice. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I've also had a lot of clients come to me with their cortisol tests in hand from their, you know, previous medical practitioner, and it's just a single cortisol blood test and they've been told oh. that they're fine. Right. Please discuss. <laughs> So the first thing that listeners need to understand is that hormones are like children. They have to be attended to at all times. Um, And what that means is that the body makes a hormone and immediately puts it on a bus to keep it like strapped in and locked down. And then the bus drives to wherever it needs to go. So you have about one to three percent of your hormone is free floating. And it's only when it's free and off the bus that it can much like children, wreak havoc, run around, do the things, bind to things, grab onto things. When it's on the bus, it can't do anything. So when you get your blood drawn, it's a combination of what's on the bus and what's free floating. So if you get your blood drawn, and let's pretend for easy numbers sake, it's 10, you don't know if that's nine cortisols on the bus and one is off or nine cortisols off the bus running around being crazy and one on the bus. And we need to know that information. We need to know what's free and available and then how much is, and then what's the total, right? Like, can, what, what do you have in total? Can you, can you even make it in the first place? And then of the total, what, what's allowed to be free and, and active? The other problem with serum and getting a blood draw, you know, one time of the day is that it doesn't help you understand your rhythm. And that's what we were just talking about. Your cortisol, your free cortisol off the bus should be high in the morning to get your butt out of bed, to help you fight autoimmune, to get you going to handle the fact that you haven't had breakfast yet. And then it should be low at night because it's the opposite of melatonin. Cortisol is like the sun. Melatonin is like the moon. So cortisol starts to go down. So you feel sleepy and you get ready for bed, go to bed and can fall asleep and stay asleep. So if you just got your blood drawn at two o'clock in the afternoon, because that's when your doctor's appointment was, it tells you nothing. <laughs> yep. I mean, unless it's really high or really low, but even then, if it's really high or really low, you still have to have more workup done anyhow. So you might as well get your pattern through the day so you understand if you have a dysfunctional pattern and you might as well understand how many are free and off the bus and you might as well understand how many buses, you know, with cortisol, what the potential is, the total is, because it answers a whole lot more questions and really can help direct you. And so that, what you're referring to is the cortisol awakening response test, yeah? In the morning, yep. So that that rise, that spike in the morning to get your, to get you going is called a cortisol awakening response. So when you are sleeping, as you get closer and closer to dawn or to your wake-up point, your brain is talking to your adrenal glands and it's going, okay, make cortisol, make cortisol, make cortisol. And the adrenal glands go, wait, not yet, not yet. She hasn't opened her eyes yet, not yet. And then as soon as you open your eyes, then it goes now, okay, now. And so in the first 30 minutes of you opening your eyes and getting out for the day, your cortisol shoots up. It's supposed to because, again, like I said, it helps you with energy, it helps you manage the fact that you haven't eaten all night. It helps you lower inflammation. 
And it also stimulates your thymus gland to kill cells that are accidentally created autoimmune. And so, and then after, and then after about 60 minutes, it starts to go down through the rest of your day. So you want this nice, healthy sort of mountain or rolling, you know, big hill of cortisol in the morning, and then it goes down, down, down through the rest of the day. But what's interesting about that autoimmune, because I get asked that a lot, is that yes. when, you're, when your body makes, um, you know, you have, you have an immune system, and when your body makes T cells, part of your immune system, sometimes they're made, they're made wrong. They're made autoimmune. Like it's, you know, oops, oopsies, the factory did that wrong. And so, the, but the body's smart and it double checks all your cells to make sure that they, it didn't screw up. And it does it in the thymus gland. So the thymus gland checks every single T cell and says, okay, hey, are you autoimmune? Did we, are you autoimmune? Are you autoimmune before we send you out? And if you are accidentally autoimmune, you get pulled to the side because you have to be killed. You, you can't go out if you're autoimmune. And what triggers that killing is the spike in cortisol in the morning, the cortisol awakening response. And so it's this really cool, awesome feature that our body does um, not so cool if you are a person who does not spike in the morning. I know. So if you flatline, or if you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flatline or if you go down, then what happens to those autoimmune cells? They sneak their way out of the thymus gland into circulation and they contribute to autoimmune if you have it, or they increase your risk for developing further autoimmune if you don't yet have it. So I've said so many people do their cortisol awakening response test and say to me, Carrie, my autoimmune symptoms are terrible in the morning and we look and they, they're flatlined. They don't have a nice healthy mountain of a, of a spike um, or they go down. <laughs> and oh then God. I'm like, well, here you go. Like your, your destruction, your ability to destroy, you know, your oopsies uh, is gone. And so that's why you feel so bad. Part of the reason you feel oh. so bad in the morning. It's like your quality control office is out to lunch. Yeah, literally. it really is. It, yeah. it really is. So... It does the best it can, but if you don't get that spike, then it's not going to happen. And so uh, then people will say, well, what's, like, what, can, what can I do? <laughs> what can I do? The best, easiest, cheapest way is to get bright light in the morning, which is not on your phones, but like open up your blinds, open up your drapes, you know, step outside for five or 10 minutes and get some sunshine in your eyeballs. Or where I live, where um, it snowed yesterday, um, you, we fake it. We buy, they're called full spectrum light bulbs. Um, or um, full spectrum, or they have a, they have another name too. The name is escaping me. You can buy it online. Um, and so people have like little boxes that they put on their counters or their dresser or wherever they are. They have things that clip onto their computer and their full spectrum light bulbs. Um, and you know they'll have it on for 10, 15, 60 minutes in the morning just to stimulate the act of sunshine in their eyeballs, and that helps get that spike up and you want to do it right away. You, cause remember I said you, you only have, it's from the minute your eyeballs open, you have about 30 to 60 minutes and that's it. So if you, if you get up and then you're like, get showered and get ready and get going. And then, you know, an hour and a half has passed. Now you're like, okay, now I'll go get sunshine. Like it's too late. You have to do it right away. Yeah. So yeah. for those of you down there <laughs> where it's sunny. <laughs> yeah. We got no problem yeah. here at the moment. <laughs> exactly. You're the, at the time of a, uh, at this podcast, it's your summer. Uh, go outside. <laughs> yeah. Go outside. No sunglasses for a few minutes. Right. Exactly. And I've had some people say, well, I, what about skin cancer risk? You, it's not in the, in the skin. That's vitamin D. This is the sunlight in your eyes to tell your brain to make cortisol. So it's two different. So you can wear SPF. You can 
cover everything else up but your eyes if you want to, <laughs> but you need, yeah. you need, you just be outside, look around, enjoy your scenery for a few minutes and then go back inside. It's only a few minutes as well. It's yeah. only a few minutes. And I, I don't want people to think I'm telling you to look at the sun. Like, don't blind yourself. No, you just actually, want, like, <laughs> someone got in trouble for that recently. Very high-profile paleo chef person who we won't name right now got in so much trouble for that recently in Australia. No kidding. Yeah, because he said something about looking towards the sun, and I think it may have been maybe a little bit misconstrued. And, oh. and people thought that he meant look at the sun. <laughs> Oh, he no. Got he got grilled. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Don't look at the sun. You just need some sunshine around yeah. you. Just yeah. <laughs> go outside with your sunglasses off and, and you know, bask in the sun. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm glad we don't stare at the sun. Right. Yes. Sorry. Which is funny because you and I like know what it means. So yeah. to me, I'm like, well, of course you don't look at the sun. You just go outside and just get some sunshine around your eyeballs. But mm. I'm, I mean it, you know in a different way than literally staring at the sun. Don't do that. <laughs> Go outside, look at your yard, look at your neighbors, you know, look at, yeah. look, look at the whatever, look at the trees and yeah. just enjoy the fact that it's sunny outside for a few minutes. And take some deep breaths while you're at it. Use there this you opportunity. Go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I know I, I don't ever want to wrap this up because like, <laughs> I could keep nerding out with you all day. However, uh, I know that you've got things to do and so do I and I'm pretty sure our listeners' brains are full right now. So uh, just before we wrap it up though, if you had one piece of advice for busy women facing fatigue and burnout, what would it be? It would be um, a combination. Uh, I call it, well, it's called, uh, I didn't coin it, circadian retraining. What that means is you want to get your sunshine or your bright full spectrum light exposure first thing in the morning and you want the darkness, get off your phones, get off your TV, get off your tablet at night before bed because sleep is where you repair, your deep sleep is where you repair everything. So if you're not waking up rested, restored, feeling really good, then you need to really focus on your wind down routine at night, your sleep hygiene at night and get that deep sleep so that you can wake up feeling rested and restored. And if you don't wake up in the morning very well, then, you know, just like we said, enjoy, go outside, open your blinds, you know, enjoy some of that natural, natural light. Yeah. And if you had a magical time of the evening that you had to turn that tablet or computer off, like if I had to push you for a time, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., <laughs> help me. Um, I know, exactly. It's terrible. We have this fight in my house all the time. Um, so, I mean, I, I obviously I cheat. I have blue light blocking glasses. But ideally, I would say like somewhere between 8 and 9 p.m. is what I would, is depending on your bedtime. I know some people go to bed at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. <laughs> um, but you're trying, you want it, you want it, you know, a good solid hour before you go to bed. You want to be off electronics. Yeah. So my right. goal is about an hour and a half. I try to be off electronics. I'm failing miserably lately, but that's just due to other reasons. Um, by 8 30, and, and I'm usually lights out by 10. Yeah. So, All right. yep. Cool. Yeah. Something to aim for. All <laughs> right, lovely. Can you please let us know where people can find you online? Because I love your Facebook posts and also your Instagram videos. <laughs> so please let us yes. know where we can find you. 
Most definitely. Instagram, uh, my Instagram and Facebook are connected. So Instagram, my handle is at dr.carryjones. Um, so at dr.carryjones. And then every uh, webinar I do, podcast like this one, goes on the um, dutchtest.com website. So, and it's all free. You can just get on, there's a section for um, webinars and you'll see, you know, education and podcasts and you just click the link and you can scroll and see whatever you want. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today, Dr. Carrie Jones. You are amazing. I hope you come back to Australia (laughs) soon so we can meet in person. Uh, I would love that. It'd be so much fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends, or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.